Good evening, and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. You can find our latest print edition at our uh, street boxes around the city in more than 60 public libraries, independent bookstores, cafes, and other venues. You can also find us online at independent.org, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. My co-host, Amr Gagarian, is out today. So we have another fantastic show for you. We'll venture across the New York City region today from a UAW picket line in the Hudson Valley to the corruption scandal that has engulfed New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez and back to New York City, where our reporter Keating Zelinki has been speaking with student loan debtors who face a Sunday deadline to resume making their monthly loan payments after a three-and-a-half-year pandemic moratorium on payments comes to an end. But first, we turn to Belleville, Michigan, uh, where earlier today President Joe Biden joined striking auto workers outside a General Motors facility. This marked the first time in U.S. history that a sitting president has appeared on a picket line with striking workers. Here's what Biden had to say. You guys, UAW, you saved the automobile industry back in 2008 and before. Made a lot of sacrifices. Gave up a lot. And the companies were in trouble. But now they're doing incredibly well. And guess what? You should be doing incredibly well, too. Again, that was President Biden speaking at a picket line in Belleville, Michigan, outside a General Motors facility earlier today. So uh, polls show overwhelming public support for the striking auto workers. On Friday, United Auto Workers President Sean Fain announced the strike was being expanded to 38 parts and dis- parts distribution centers across the country that belong to General Motors and Stellantis, the parent company of Chrysler. One of these parts distribution centers that went on strike uh, Friday at noon is in Tappan, New York, in Rockland County, just north of New York City. Joining us now is Jeff Purcell, president of UAW Local 3039, which represents about 80 workers at the Tappan facility, which is owned by Stellantis. Jeff, are you there? Waiting to hear from Jeff Purcell, president of Local uh, 3039 in Tappan, New York. We also have a, a second uh, guest uh, joining us in this segment, uh, uh, Navruz Baum. He's also a member of UAW, uh, in his case, Local 2325, the Association of Legal Aid Attorneys in New York City, and one of eight non-auto worker UAW's locals in New York City. And, uh, members of, uh, some of the, uh, other UAW locals in the city went up to Tappan, uh, this weekend and joined the picket line. Also, uh, members of the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, uh, were also up there, uh, uh, joining the picket line in the soaking rain while we had the remnants of uh, Hurricane Orphelia coming through our region. Uh, uh, Navruz, uh, it's great to have you with us. 
Thanks for having me. So, um, yeah. So tell us what it was like uh, being on the picket line on, on Saturday. Uh, Y'all were getting soaked in the rain, but from the pictures I saw, uh, people seem to still be in high spirits. Yeah, uh, it, it was raining, uh, but if the bosses aren't going to stop us, the rain certainly isn't. Um, the energy on the picket line uh, was really high. Uh, the workers uh, were really excited to be out there. They're ready to, to fight what's that for what's theirs. Um, and as you said, uh, there was a lot of community support. Uh, folks from other uh, UAW locals in the area, folks from the D- DSA, uh, other community members, um, and we were all out there to, to, to support the workers on the picket line. Um, we know that they're fighting for the entire working class and, uh, we want them to win that fight. Great. And now, uh, I believe we are uh, joined by, uh, Jeff Purcell, uh, president of local 3039 in, uh, Tappan, New York, uh, joining us, uh, by, uh, telephone. Uh, Jeff, are you there? Yep. I'm here. How you doing, Tom? Uh, doing great. Uh, so, uh, first of all, your reaction uh, to President Biden appearing on the UAW picket line in Michigan earlier today. Uh, what are your thoughts? First time a, a U.S. president has uh, done such a thing. Uh, I'm extremely excited about the support. You know, my uh, um, my president has given out to the working class uh, people of America as their support of the unions. You got to pardon me. I'm on a picket line actively right now still, so you're hearing honking in the background. But yes, I'm, I'm extremely excited with the support that he's given out to the working class of America. You know. It, it would definitely, you know, put a lot of work on our back. And, you know, for him to show the cl- this class of America that, you know, he's behind them, it, it means a lot, not only for the UAW, but for a lot of people, of course, the whole government. Right. And uh, so how are y'all uh, doing in, in uh, Tappan? Uh, you and the other workers went on strike at noon on Friday. Uh, yeah. Been picketing mostly in the rain since then. Uh, how, how's your assessment of how things are going uh, at your uh, uh, strike site? Yeah, so uh, we got the call at 10 a.m. on Friday to uh, to walk out at 12 in the afternoon. So we've been out since 12 in the afternoon. Uh, Friday wasn't too bad. Saturday we got here with the rain. Uh, I've been out here pretty much every day, all day, with exception to going home for a couple of hours to change clothes and shower. But uh, the energy was great. Uh, you know, people that came out and supported on Saturday were phenomenal. We had some teamsters come out yesterday. They were phenomenal. We have a big uh, uh, pouring of a group of people coming out tomorrow. So. The, um, we were excited when we walked out at 12 o'clock, you know, to, to you know, just get out there and you know, do our fair share of the, you know, the, the uh, protests against these companies. But the community outpour has uh, gave us even more strength than we even thought we could ever had. You know, the, the wind tested us on Friday. We lost two tents out here. People were getting soaked. We were in raincoats. You know, they it really tried us. But the, the support of people just, you know, coming out here and banding together with us, the solidarity that was shown to us, it's been amazing. It's, it's been keeping us going. Right. And, and what, why is it worth it to you and your, uh, other union members uh, to go out on this strike and forego the, the usual paycheck you would be getting if you weren't on strike? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, basically, you know, this is in support of the working class America, like I said before. Um, there's, we're, we're family members in here. Like me, I have, I'm a father of three, a single father of three children. Um, I have my kids that I support. So my sacrifice you see alone is, I'm not spending time with my children right now because I'm out here on the picket line pretty much all day, every day. Uh, and there's other people in here who are under the same circumstances, but we understand, you know, that we need our fair share of pay for the work that we're putting in. During COVID, we were labeled essential workers. We weren't able to go home on COVID. We were in here every day doing uh, mass mandates, doing temperature checks, walked in. We, we, we were going through all that in the pandemic, still coming in here, making sure we were servicing our consumers, you know. So when you look at, 
the, the information is going up. The cost of living is going up. Um, everything in the, is going up. The expenses of just living is going up. And the only thing not increasing is our pay. But corporate, uh, the corporate people are getting raises back to back. You know, the, the cost of price are going up. Um, you see all these profits for these companies are going up. But we don't deserve our fair share. You know, so we're out here just because we understand, you know, what we deserve. And for the working class, like I said, we just, you know, it's time for us to get our fair share of the cut, too. Right. And have there been uh, any uh, confrontations with scabs on your picket line? Uh, we have reports no. that there was a confrontation in Southern California uh, yesterday where uh, scabs trying to enter a, a work site uh, pulled guns on uh, people who were walking a picket line. Uh, have, have you wow. run into any sort of, uh, you know, difficult encounters with scabs trying to break your picket line? No, we've actually been blessed enough that um, not only have we not have any, had any scabs, but we have so much of a good rapport with our drivers uh, that come here and deliver all the time because you, you have the same drivers for 20, 30 years that come here and deal with you all the time, and we look back and forth. So we've actually had drivers, teamsters. You know, we've had UPS drivers and DHL drivers and drivers for other, like, garbage companies that came in, saw our picket line, turned around and left and said, you know what, we're with you guys. We're going to show you guys solidarity. Don't worry about it. We won't be servicing. As long as you guys are out here, they won't be giving any business to us. So it, it, it's been completely the opposite from that for us. We, we've had solidarity for all these companies. We haven't had any scabs. And we've been positive so far, so good up here. Hopefully we don't have to get into something like that, but we're definitely not in support of that on our side either. Right. And I, I saw in some of the photos, I, I recognize uh, some people from Teamsters Local 804 here in New York City who were very active in their contract ca- campaign, which – resulted in some major gains in the contract they settled in august and uh, uh what did it mean to have uh those folks up there i mean they just did pretty well for themselves and and, and they weren't resting on their laurels but they were up there in the rain with the the rest of you yep the, out, the outpour from the teamsters has been amazing i mean we even had uh, a set of teamsters a local from up in albany they came down with an 18 wheel attractive trailer that they have that you know it's all decorated up with their uaw team system with their I mean, the union teamster stuff, and they parked it right in uh, in front of the, the building in the street. And, you know, it's been amazing the support that we've gotten from the teamsters. We have more support coming from them. Uh, some of them actually come and saw me, uh, saw me today. They're actually doing um, two events. They're doing one tomorrow downtown around 31st Street, and then they're doing another one on Saturday around in front of the GN building around 1 p.m. They'll be doing another protest. So the outpouring support from, team, from teamsters has been amazing. Great. And I'm just going to pivot over here for a moment to uh, uh, Navruz uh, Baum, uh, a member of uh, UAW Local 2325 here in New York City, which represents uh, the Association of uh, Legal Aid Attorneys uh, in in the city. Uh, again, uh, uh, Navruz, you said earlier yeah, that it was a, a really great time, uh, regardless of the weather, on Saturday. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the solidarity between uh, these eight uh, non-auto worker UAW locals in New York City that uh, represent people uh, in nonprofits, uh, higher education, uh, cultural uh, centers, uh, the 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 connections that are uh, being forged uh, in this strike or even uh, long before the strike. Yeah, I mean, as as you point out, we work in many different industries. Um, but we have we're, we're we're all fighting the same fight, um, and we're dealing with uh, really similar issues on the job. 
um, whether that's uh, 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 subpar wages, lack of retirement benefits, lack of health care, or just a lack of uh, power and control in the workplace, uh, surveillance from the boss, um, and, and just a lack of say. And so we, we absolutely all have each other's backs. We always come out to each other's pickets. We support each other. Um, and of course, that's going to be the case, um, when the auto workers, the biggest industry in our union and the, the industry that founded our union, of course, when they go on strike, we're going to go and support them. Great. And, and will there be, uh, more carpools of, uh, uh, UAW and DSA, uh, members, uh, heading, uh, uh, back to the picket line? Absolutely. Um, we, uh, we're, we're organizing more carpools. Uh, DSA is, we're, uh, both of us, both DSA and UAW locals are going up to, uh, uh, to, to other, uh, bi- uh, big three work sites in, uh, Hartsfield, uh, this weekend. Um, so absolutely we're, we're in this one long fall. Uh, I mean, if the workers are out there 24 seven, uh, we can, we can certainly show up, uh, for a few hours to support them. Right on. And finally, uh, Jeff, is there, uh, anything, uh, you want to let people know about how they can, uh, uh, get involved in, in, uh, coming to your picket line or otherwise, uh, supporting the striking workers in Tappan, New York? Yeah. So any support is, is, is greatly appreciated. You know, come out, grab a picket sign. We're very approachable. Don't feel like, you know, you're, you're going to be pushed back. Um, I'm here pretty much all day, every day, with an exception. If you don't see me out here, it's probably two, three o'clock in the morning when I'm checking on the kids, but I'll be back by 6 a.m. So I'm here pretty much all the time. Whatever support you guys want to give, just want to come grab a sign and just have a conversation with us and learn from, you know, what we have going on. It's great. Uh, as was said before, you know, there, there, a lot of people don't even know that a, there was a big three location here. So we're getting a lot of attention from people just amazed that they didn't, they drove past this place a bunch of times and never even realized that we were one of the big, big three UAW sites. So we're getting a, a ton of support and all the support we get is greatly appreciated. You guys, if you guys want the address, the address I'll throw it out there is 108 Route 303 in Japan, New York, 10983. Again, like I said, all support is appreciated. Okay. Uh, Jeff Purcell, president of UAW Local 3039 in Tappan, New York, uh, a Chrysler uh, a parts distribution facility. Thank you so much for joining us on WBAI radio this evening. And also thanks to Navruz Baum, a, a, a UAW a local 2325, a member who's also been on the picket line uh, with his uh, comrades from other UAW locals and the Democratic Socialists of America. Thank you both for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. All righty. We'll be back uh, with more after this short break.
That was Rich Get Richer by the OJs. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM, beaming across the New York City region. I'm your host today, John Tarleton, editor of The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. In our second segment, we're going to uh, talk about the uh, the burgeoning uh, uh, corruption scandal around uh, New Jersey uh, Senator Robert Menendez. Uh, before we do that, I want to uh, drop in a couple of notes here. Um, we will be asking you more a little later in the show uh, to give uh, to WBAI. If uh, the rich get richer, well, WBAI is not quite rich, and it needs all the support you can get. Uh, a heads up, the number you can call to support this station is 212-209-2950. Again, that's 212-209-2950. Or you can also go online to give uh, number to WBAI.org. Uh, one of the best things you can do is become a WBAI buddy. Uh, for as little as $10 a month, though you can certainly uh, go higher than that, $15, $20, $25, $30, $50 a month, uh, $100 a month. Uh, it's an incredible way to support this station, which has managed to stay on the air for 63 incredible years because of the support of listeners like yourself. And that support makes it possible uh, for us to bring uh, guests on the air like Jeff Purcell, president of a striking UAW local up in Rockland County that we just heard from, as well as another UAW uh, union member, Navruz Baum. You also just heard from him. In a minute, we're going to talk with anti-corruption uh, specialist and former congressional candidate Hector Oseguera about the big uh, corruption scandal across the Hudson River in New Jersey. Uh, one other uh, reminder I want to offer is WBAI is in the middle of listener station board uh, elections. Uh, there's all kinds of candidates uh, running to sit on the listener station board, uh, which plays an important role in the governance of this radio station. Uh, right now, uh, with the voting deadline of September 30th, just a few days away, uh, we still need to get more people, more uh, listener members uh, to vote in this election. Uh, uh, WBI is still a little bit short of the 10% threshold of uh, listener members uh, voting in these LSB elections. If uh, the station falls short of that 10% threshold, it would mean a costly extension of that election season. We know how important democracy is. We know there's all kinds of forces on the loose in this country uh, that are trying to undermine uh, democracy. We still have it at this station. So if you can uh, participate in the election, if you're uh, a listener uh, member, if you've given $25 or more in the last year uh, or participated as a volunteer, uh, you should be eligible to vote in these LSB elections. And uh, please, uh, please uh, go ahead and do that in the next few days. Uh, you can do the voting online. Um, so anyway, uh, moving on from that and uh, on over across the Hudson River uh, to New Jersey. Uh, unfortunately, New Jersey uh, sometimes just makes the news when it's uh, politicians uh, engage in uh, flagrant corruption. We have a, another instance of that going on. Uh, uh, senior New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez uh, was indicted on corruption charges uh, by uh, uh, federal prosecutors on Friday. Uh, the details are pretty lurid. Involves uh, almost a half million dollars in uh, cash that was found at his home, uh, gold bars, 
uh, a, a Mercedes that apparently was uh, is alleged to have been a, a part of a bribery scheme. Uh, it involved uh, Menendez uh, providing information uh, to Egyptian uh, government authorities uh, in return. Uh, a colleague of his uh, who had a who obtained a, a monopoly on uh, a halal meat inspections in Egypt uh, uh, routed a lot of money. Uh, back to Menendez and his uh, wife, Nadine Menendez. Menendez, uh, up until a few days ago, was the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, so he had a huge say in where uh, uh, U.S. arms sales went around the world, including to Egypt, one of the U.S.'s uh, top client states in the Middle East uh, after Israel. Anyway, uh, quite a, a squalid story unfolding there uh, with a lot of uh, important implications as well. And joining us today to help uh, help us understand uh, what's going on. Well, actually, before we uh, go to Hector, um, uh, the support for Menendez among uh, congressional Democrats has been eroding dramatically. Today, a number of uh, senators came out and said uh, that uh, Menendez should uh, resign from office while he uh, pursues uh, his right to a fair trial in court. And uh, we had, for example, uh, uh, Cory Booker, uh, the other senator from uh, New Jersey, uh, he came out and said uh, Menendez had resigned. Uh, Booker had been a close ally of Menendez for many years. And uh, um, as the New York Times wrote, uh, Mr. Booker, who testified as a character witness for Mr. Menendez during his first corruption trial in 2017, said the, quote, shocking allegations of corruption uh, were hard to reconcile with the person I know. Well, Menendez also had a chance to speak on his behalf in a press conference yesterday. And uh, let's uh, hear what he had to say. The allegations leveled against me are just that, allegations. For anyone who has known me throughout my 50 years of public service, they know I have always fought for what is right. My advocacy has always been grounded in what I learned from growing up as a son of Cuban refugees. I firmly believe that when all the facts are presented, not only will I be exonerated, but I still will be the New Jersey's senior senator. I have withdrawn thousands of dollars in cash from my personal savings account, which I have kept for emergencies and because of the history of my family facing confiscation in Cuba. Okay, so that was... Uh, senior New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez now indicted on multiple federal corruption charges, speaking at a press conference yesterday defending himself. Uh, joining us now to help uh, make sense of all this is Hector Oseguera. He's an anti-money laundering specialist and formerly a candidate for Congress in New Jersey's 8th uh, district. He ran in 2020. Uh, that district is now represented uh, by Robert Menendez Jr., the son of the indicted senator, uh, that New Jersey's 8th Congressional District uh, uh, is in Hudson County in the area around uh, Jersey City and some of those other uh, towns and cities in northern New Jersey. Uh, Hector, welcome to the Independent News Hour. Hey, John. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for covering this very important story. Oh, yes, uh, definitely. It's, it's great to have you back here on uh, WBAI. So first of all, uh, since you are an anti-money laundering specialist, you worked at uh, various international banks. Um, can you relate the work uh, that you do uh, to the kind of actions uh, that Senator Menendez is alleged to have engaged in? 
Absolutely. Uh, for your viewers who may not know, my nine to five is really spent uh, reviewing financial activity and trying to see if that financial activity is a, somehow related to money laundering. Money laundering is just a cute way of saying proceeds of a crime. So if you commit a crime, if you rob a bank or if you're give, given gold bars, you can't exactly walk into a bank and say, I'd like to deposit this gold bar. So you need to find a way of turning that gold bar into something that you can actually use. That process is called money laundering. And as I said, on a nine to five basis, I basically look at financial activity, trying to determine whether or not that activity is related to money laundering. Right. And, and your reaction uh, to Senator uh, Menendez saying he had nearly a half million dollars in cash as well as the gold uh, bars uh, lying around his house uh, because as a Cuban-American, he was still traumatized by the wealth confiscation that took place after Cuba's 1959 revolution. I mean, something that your viewers should all know is that Menendez's family actually fled Cuba in 56, I believe, or a couple years before Castro took over. So he actually fled during Bautista. So his family actually has no uh, history of capital confiscation. And e even if that were true, which it, it just sounds ridiculous on its face, you know, a gold bar is not exactly going to fetch you much should you try to cross borders. So I'm not, I, I just don't think that uh, it's something that most people would take as an honest answer. I think he's just trying to cover for himself. And this is really indicative of the sort of political corruption that emanates from this part of New Jersey. Uh, an individual who hired an assassin related to uh, political corruption once said that Menendez was the most ruthless person he had ever met. So imagine that a guy who was hiring hitmen, and, and this is true, your viewers can look up the name Sean Cattle, who's serving 24 years for the sort of political corruption that ends up getting people murdered in Jersey City, New Jersey, once said that Bob Menendez was the most ruthless person he'd ever met. Wow. And uh, just as a note, um, our, our, our viewers are uh, actually listeners uh, li listening along on uh, um, WBAI 99.5 FM on the radio dial and also uh, listening along uh, streaming on um, WBAI.org. Um, uh, maybe someday we'll have a televised version of this show as well. Um, so you started to talk uh, about uh, uh, the machine uh, politics in New Jersey, especially in northern New Jersey, which is uh, historically uh, Menendez's power base. Uh, can you talk about why uh, machine politics continues to be uh, so strong in New Jersey and how someone like Menendez has been able to flourish over a nearly 50-year career in public office, even after being indicted on corruption charges in 2015, which he was not exonerated for, is simply the ended up having a split jury that couldn't agree whether to convict him or not. Indeed. So the way that North Hudson politics works more closely resembles a feudal state or the way that Menendez would describe a state like Cuba or Venezuela that's the way our government works, which is essentially a small group of people. You receive government contracts and dole them out to their friends. Those friends then give back in the form of campaign contributions that go towards keeping these people in office essentially perpetually. And so this sort of game 
includes a very small number of very powerful political figures who determine how government contracts get doled out. That becomes a power base of regular voters who will never, ever turn against these people. They're mostly public servants like teachers or firefighters or police officers who work in the municipalities and are basically, in a way, extorted and made to believe that their job security is dependent on the proliferation of this system, such as you must go and vote for these candidates. You must donate to your local politician. And if you don't, you might notice that your career stagnates if you seek to be a public servant anywhere in North Jersey. That becomes a power base that becomes a very formidable machine. You know, these people, they do things wrong. And and certainly this game is very corrupt, but they do it very well in that they can amass a number of people on a given basis to vote for literally anyone, even someone who's a twice indicted corrupt senator. Right. And this this kind of machine politics, obviously, uh, the Democrats in New Jersey have engaged in it for uh, decades. But also uh, when you had Republicans in power, like former Governor Chris Christie, uh, uh, he was uh, pretty corrupt, too, and, and used all sorts of hardball tactics uh, against people he saw as his rivals. So it seems to be a, a bipartisan thing over there. Absolutely. I mean, the the party game is essentially a game of capital. Whoever cozies up to the special interests, the real estate, the pharmaceutical interests, uh, the insurance interests, those people will be elevated no matter what party they come from. It just so happens that, you know, Senator Menendez has been, you know, the sole voice essentially of our Cuba policy since Biden's election. So he had a very powerful position and this position itself, uh, it matters a lot. You know, being in the Senate, he's been responsible for millions and millions of dollars of government contracts. And, you know, there's a saying that the times you get caught are just a small percentage of the times that you did something and got away with it. So we're coming up on this issue now, but we don't know how many times uh, other sort of deals went to people who were related or somehow connected. And, and we just never knew about it. Right. And uh, can you uh, talk about uh, how this scandal uh, is fracturing uh, the political machine in Jersey and uh, who all is uh, circling around uh, Menendez uh, uh, angling for his job? Should he, uh, you know, ultimately uh, resign or otherwise uh, be ushered out of office? Yeah. So there's been a seismic shift in New Jersey politics on a near hourly basis. Um, a couple of people have jumped into the Senate race uh, to succeed Menendez. He is not going to resign. I don't see him resigning. I mean, that's my prediction that he will not resign because he's just so brazen. And in his mind, if he were to resign, it would be sort of a tacit admission of guilt. And, you know, these people, he feels like he did nothing wrong. He, in his mind, he did nothing wrong. So he's not going to resign is my prediction. But there are several very powerful political figures who want his Senate seat. Now, on top of that, you have the Hudson County machine, which is in charge of the congressional seat that you that I ran for, now occupied by Menendez Jr. And there have been rumblings that powerful political figures in Hudson County may try for that seat, one being the mayor of Hoboken, Ravi Bala. One challenge that he'll face is that the congressional district is a very intentional 
Hispanic gerrymander. So the towns that are cut in and cut out of the district are specifically because they have a high Hispanic population to such an extent that a town like Jersey City is cut in half in the congressional district between this district and the 10th district, the 10th district being the predominantly black gerrymander um, and the Hispanic parts falling into the district where I live. Uh, so now there are some rumblings of people who will try to fight for or may try to fight for that congressional seat as well. Do you have any interest in running for Congress again? You ran for that seat in 2020 uh, when it was occupied by uh, 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 Albo uh, Suarez, the predecessor to Menendez. Alvio Suarez, who was, in fact, my hometown mayor in West New York when I was growing up. And so I knew all about uh, him when I ran. You know, to, to, to your question, I think that a good progressive should uh, rise up and challenge for the seat. I think that this is a pivotal time. We're seeing, like I said, huge seismic shifts in the political world in New Jersey. Personally, I'd like to see a good progressive get into that seat, whether it's me or whether it's somebody who can do that job better. It, it really doesn't matter as long as there's a strong progressive fighting for that seat. I think that will be a huge win. I think we have a huge uh, bench of very capable progressives here in Hudson County. And, you know, th- it shouldn't be this space shouldn't be occupied by one voice or one person. I think we should open it up to as many voices want to get into this uh, conversation as possible. And like you said, democracy is a good thing. So we want to hear from everybody. The The problem with the Hudson County machine is that, you know, it's, it's like a mafia. They only speak in one voice and that's the only voice anybody's allowed to speak. You know, the, the thing that progressives bring to the conversation is, you know, you're allowed to have your say. You can bring differences of opinion and we'll hear you out and we'll try to come to a consensus between all the views that are expressed. That's what democracy is all about. And that's what I'd like to see happen in Hudson County and in New Jersey going forward. And uh, you mentioned the racial gerrymanders that were deliberately constructed in uh, New Jersey congressional districts eight and ten. Do you think that could be part of the problem or in that the whoever ends up getting elected from that group uh, feels like they can just sort of take all of their constituents uh, for granted? Uh, if, if you had a sort of a more uh, heterogeneous uh, group of voters, you might get a different dynamic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel that this gerrymander you know some people might say well it gives at least you get representation representation matters right but in my mind what it does is it gives the machine the opportunity to tokenize people and to put up somebody who's not going to express a difference of opinion from them but just somebody who will express their viewpoint but have a different a different hue of skin and and you know we don't want black and brown oppressors essentially we don't want people to uphold the establishment but to look like us we want people who are going to actively do things to benefit working class people and not just you know use us as as a token of well at least you got representation we want representation that actually matters Mm. and can you talk about the the ballot line in new jersey uh sort of a unique uh setup that's used over there and why you and other progressives see that as so problematic and and uh, whether that could uh, change anytime soon. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you asked that question because it's a really in the weed sort of mechanism that's used in New Jersey. But what we have is called the county line. And what that essentially does is that candidates are put together on a ballot forming a an unbroken column uh, from the top. So essentially at the top, you'd have the president. So Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or somebody running for president. And at the bottom, you would have hyper local seats like county level commissioner, um, which is like a county level legislator in New Jersey. And what this does is it gives the establishment the opportunity to give voters a false impression that somebody like Joe Biden has endorsed the local candidates. And what you do is that you essentially benefit from downstream effects of all the voters do is you see this unbroken column of candidates and most voters vote for all those candidates. Now, if you're somebody like me, if you're running against the establishment, they put you in a different part of the ballot off to the side in a broken column where there will either be no candidates above you or no candidates below you such that if you were to see the ballot and I really uh, would encourage uh, all your listeners to look up a ballot in Hudson County, New Jersey, and you'll see a column of establishment candidates, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Barack Obama. And going down, you'll have someone like uh, Cory Booker or Senator Menendez. Then you would have a congressional candidate like Albi Osiris, all the establishment candidates going down to the local level in an unbroken column. And it, it basically benefits from a psychological effect called the primacy effect. That the, if you are given a set of options, the first one that you see has a statistical benefit to, you know, this might not occur in every single individual instance, but once you take it over thousands or tens of thousands of instances, you get a specific, uh, effect. And the effect is that voters by and large vote down the county line and all voters, you know, or not all voters, but a huge majority of voters vote down the unbroken column, which is all establishment candidates. It's been written in academic papers that just being on the county line benefits a candidate, random candidate, 35% extra of the vote. So you could put Mickey Mouse on the county line and they would have a 35% benefit going into the election over any other candidate appearing on a different part of the column for the same position. Wow, that's uh, that's uh, quite a head start. And of course, uh, six years ago when Menendez was up for re-election after his first corruption trial, uh, all the uh, Democrats in New Jersey who are now uh, throwing him uh, off the boat uh, rallied in his support, and he was on those uh, county lines. Um, so where do you, uh, last of all, before you have to go here, uh, uh, Hector Oseguera, where do you uh, think this is all headed for New Jersey politics? Can Will the county line system uh, be broken at some point and, um, will we see real, uh, political change in New Jersey or uh, just a shuffling of the personnel over the next uh, year or so as this, uh, scandal plays out? Well, I actually have a lot of hope. You know, one of the interesting instances of this whole scandal is that Menendez actually has been threatened with losing the county line, which is a significant split and, and a sign that his power may be waning in New Jersey. You know, as for what comes next, we have that uh, responsibility uh, to try to do our best to organize around these issues. And, and uh, you know, a candidate 
that ran in the 10th district last uh, cycle ran a poll on what issues are most important to voters. And when you do these polls nationally, you get a lot of kitchen table issues like the economy or unemployment and things like that. But in a congressional district, uh, she did this poll and corruption was actually in the top three issues that are most important to voters. So this is something that a lot of people are really interested in and care about a lot. And in high information elections, that's when progressive candidates have a great opportunity to get people involved and get people registered and make sure that we don't just have a shuffling of the deck or, or uh, a game of musical chairs as, as so often happens, but we actually get some, some significant change and help to bring this whole machine system to an end. Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it there. But Hector Oseguera, former New Jersey congressional candidate and anti-money laundering specialist, thank you so much for joining us this evening on WBAI 99.5 FM. Thank you so much. All right. We'll be back uh, with more after this short break. We're going to talk about the student loan crisis and where things go next with the uh, payment moratorium ending in a few days. She sits home and dreams That her man will leave his mark on her head He's not all he sees But she's seen a dress She has the flowers planned Now she won't be That was Fool's Gold by the late, great Amy Winehouse. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM, your community radio station here in New York. I'm your host, John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. Uh, so uh, we're going to move on to our last segment uh, in, a, in a minute here. 
But once again, I want to encourage everybody who can do so uh, to be uh, to support this station. If it's been a while since you've uh, made a donation or if you've never made a donation, this would be a great time to do it. Uh, 212-209-2950. Again, that number is 212-209-2950. Or you can go to give a number to WBAI.org. Uh, when you do that, uh, you support uh, this show, of course, uh, and all the uh, voices from the community that we're able to bring on. You just heard from anti-corruption, uh, anti-money laundering expert, um, Hector Oseguera, who's also involved in progressive politics over New Jersey. Earlier, earlier in this show, uh, we heard from uh, Jeff Purcell, the president of a UAW uh, local in Tappan, New York, that is on strike and picketing 24-7. Uh, he was speaking to us uh, right uh, from the picket line. Uh, so uh, and, and when you uh, give, you also support all the other programming on WBAI. Think of uh, the shows you enjoy listening to, other uh, news and public affairs shows uh, from uh, the morning show uh, that starts at, at 7 p.m. every morning, Democracy Now!, all the public affairs show uh, shows that come after that, the uh, the uh, music and cultural uh, shows that this station airs tw- 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, WBA's got a, an amazing uh, menu of programs that you're able to enjoy in it. It all works uh, almost on an honor system. Enough of us have to make contributions to keep this station on the air. I'm proud to be a, a WBAI uh, buddy and, and chip in a, a little bit each month. And it's it's a it's a good feeling. I mean, I think a lot of people who listen to this station, uh, you know, believe in uh, progressive or socialist uh, politics, and that's really the backbone of that is a sense of community, a sense that we're all uh, in this. Uh, together and, and that um, as people we can achieve great things uh, when we act collectively uh, as opposed to sort of the individualist ethos uh, that dominates our society so you can stand up uh, for those values that you have uh, when you support this station but when you call 212-209-2950 or you go online to give number two uh, wbai uh, O-R-G. So we uh, thank you for the support. And uh, again, if you haven't uh, given in a little while or you've never given, this would be a great time to do it. Uh, so we're going to um, move on to our next segment. And w- Once again, I do want to emphasize, uh, if you haven't voted in the WBAI elections, uh, the deadline for that uh, is this Saturday. It's really important that we have enough people uh, vote in those elections. Uh, so in our final segment, we're going to talk about the student loan debt crisis. Uh, over 40 million Americans owe a total of more than $1.7 trillion in student loan debts. Uh, uh, many of those are people who come from uh, families that don't have much or any uh, generational wealth. That's why they took out the loans in the first place to try to get a higher education and improve uh, their lives. Uh, but for various reasons, it doesn't always work out and they end up uh, trapped in uh, decades of debt. And um, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the federal government uh, suspended uh, people's obligation to make monthly uh, uh, payments. Uh, it was more important for them to, uh, you know, to not necessarily 
uh, uh, be going to work amid the pandemic. And of course, we had uh, mass unemployment at the beginning of the pandemic. And, and that moratorium has stayed in place uh, for over uh, three years. And now it's uh, ending on October 1st on Saturday. And the independence, uh, Keating Zelinki has a fantastic story in our current issue uh, about this situation. It's called, uh, quote, you're told this is the way to be successful. Student loan debtors weigh options as pandemic debt payment moratorium expires on October 1st. Uh, Keating, welcome to the Independent News Hour. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so uh, we, we still have a few minutes here. Uh, this is a really a fantastic article. You, uh, you know, interviewed various debtors. Uh, can you uh, just uh, kind of summarize uh, as this uh, deadline approaches, uh, kind of what you're hearing from the various uh, debtors uh, you've, you spoke to both about how the moratorium uh, has helped them in their lives and what the end of the moratorium uh, might mean for them? Yeah, um, I think for a lot of people, the moratorium um, was a big relief financially. Um, some people, like the one of the subjects of my story named Rachel, um, she was able to build financial wellness that she otherwise wouldn't have been able to um, if she had been making those federal loan payments um, the past three years. Um, so people like her and also like myself who graduated um, during the moratorium are kind of going in not even fully knowing um, what we're up against in terms of making potentially several hundred dollars worth of payments each month. Um, and there are other debtors who have been paying loans that have told me they're looking at cutting down their grocery bill and um, really tightening their belts um, this winter. Right. And some of the people you spoke with have made many tens of thousands of dollars in payments on their debts over the years, yet are more in debt than when they started because of the effect of uh, compound interest. Um, can you talk about some of these people that are in serious six-figure debt uh, despite yeah. uh, their best efforts? Yeah, there were a lot of people. Um, one woman who I spoke to um, took out for her undergraduate and graduate loan education combined, took out $110,000 worth of loans. But she currently, despite um, having made payments since she graduated um, close to 10 years ago, uh, her current debt is $256,000. Um, yeah. So her, uh, she was dealing with, I think she said 7.6 or 7.8 interest rates on her federal loans. Um, and I, I spoke with a lot of other people who are experiencing something similar where they haven't even been able to touch their principal loan balance. They've just been paying off interest. Um, and for those people, especially, there's a real hopelessness to, um, that level of debt. Right. Now, uh, one group that's really taking the lead on this issue is uh, called uh, Strike Debt. Um, its origins come out of Occupy uh, Wall Street, and, and and they've really scaled up over the years. They really uh, took a leading role in pressuring Biden to issue a, a limited uh, a debt uh, relief program that was overturned this su summer by the right-wing Supreme Court. Uh, what is Strike Debt uh, telling people at this point? They call themselves a union of debtors. Uh, uh, what's their line at this point? 
Yeah. So um, Strike Debt or the Debt Collective, um, they're at debtcollective.org, um, is a union of debtors who are essentially looking to help people in whatever way possible. For some debtors, they recognize that that means um, striking completely and refusing to make payments either out of necessity because you literally can't afford to spend several hundred thousand dollars or several hundred dollars a month paying your loans off. Um, or if it's for political reasons. Um, but they also are, are really great about educating their members on the best way to, um, handle their debt without harming, um, their financial situation too badly in terms of like tanking their credit and things like that. They really are, are looking for, um, a, um, educated group of people and they have done, um, they recently released something called the student debt release tool, which is on their website. Um, and the goal of that tool is to give away for regular debtors to directly appeal to the department of education, um, and explain their situation and why they should have their loans completely forgiven or forgiven in part. Right. And, uh, last question here, uh, the people you spoke with, uh, where were they, where did they fall on the, uh, question of, of whether they would resume making lo- loan, uh, payments or not uh, starting next month? Yeah. So, um, in the article, um, that I wrote for the Indy, I mentioned that of the six debtors I spoke with, um, five of them, are not planning on paying, um, whether that be, um, well, I mean, all of them, the ones who don't plan on paying are unable, um, to spend that amount of money each month, um, without making very serious sacrifices to, um, other necessities in their life, like food, um, clothes, health, things like that. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to leave it there. Uh, again, that uh, URL uh, is uh, debtcollective.org. If you have student loan issues or you know someone who does, uh, that uh, group is doing tremendous work to try to help people. Uh, Keating Zelinke, uh thank you so much for joining us on the Independent News Hour this evening. Thank you. Okay. So that wraps it up for this week's show. We'll be back same time next week. And I want to thank Reggie Johnson. Amber Gagarian and Renee Feltz for all their help with this week's show. And we're going to go out with one more uh, music break here.